everyone. Welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Banu Behbudi, and my guest today is Peter Haddis, a change leadership coach and the change management lead at Haddis Partners Management Consultants. Peter has over 20 years of experience leading change on enterprise-wide transformation, and we're thrilled to have him on the show to talk through everything change management. Peter, thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks, Vanu, and I'm really thrilled to to be here and look forward to talking all about change management. Yeah, me too. I know you're very passionate about it. Before we really get um, started, give us a little insight into your background and your role as a change leadership coach and what that really means. Sure. So I got my start probably about 25 years ago with Ernst & Young and worked on projects to implement change management, worked my way up and, and started to lead change projects. And a lot of that involved dealing with leaders and helping them lead the change. The the whole coaching part came as part of that. Continued that with uh, Capgemini on my own and with uh, CGI as well. So that's kind of my journey. I've been, one thing I really like about it's it's gotten me to work with some really interesting companies from, you know, Canadian Tire and Enbridge, Direct Energy, PwC, and being there really in the midst of these major transformations are very exciting and it's a really it's a really thrilling experience when you when you're going through something like that yeah i know it sounds like that and it's it's been quite a journey a lot of transformational programs i'm sure that you've touched on and and therefore that experience is going to be invaluable through this discussion so thanks for that background i think you would agree that change management is a huge topic and therefore you know just for the sake of this conversation if you can help us provide critical uh, insights into the critical elements that you think every professional services firm needs to be considering to be successful in the context of change management. And, you know, what is it that often is overlooked? What are the, the things that result in sort of issues from transformati- on transformational projects and considerations that are ignored? Sure. There, there is a common process, just like there is in project management, steps you follow to implement it. So it usually begins with a stakeholder analysis, which informs what the change strategy is going to be. From then you develop the change plan, which includes elements, the ones that are most visible and everybody's aware of is communications and training. Uh, but then there's other ones as well that form really the, you know, what's below in, in terms of what's visible, just like an iceberg. And you have uh, job design, part of it, sometimes organizational design, you have performance management, you have rewards recognition, all of that forms the entire total package of, of, of what's needed. And on projects that I've been part of or have seen others conduct, they, they typically follow that. I think oftentimes what's sometimes missed out that I've noticed is the setting success criteria and measurable ones at the beginning of, of a transformation is sometimes not there. And, and these are business objectives. Oftentimes people say, well, we have, you know, it's on time on budget. And those are project metrics and very, very important ones. But from a business perspective, uh, you know, we're, and the question I usually ask is once we finish this project, once we go live a month later, we'll do a, a lessons learned and we're going to celebrate. So what are we celebrating? So that, you know, to, to know what business metrics, how, how will this organization look like a month in relative to what it looks like now? The other thing is 
there is a lot of focus on communications and training, and that's important. That's a key element. But some of the other ones may not be as, there may not be as enough attention paid to it. And, you know, particularly one that's common to everybody is, is oftentimes in, when people think of rewards and recognition, they immediately think there's a price tag to it. But the recognition piece is a very inexpensive one. And, and oftentimes it's celebration. And so having celebrations that, you know, key milestones is a really good thing to have as well. And, and oftentimes that's not, implement, you know, it's not put into the plan as, as often as it could be. And it is very powerful. The other one, and this is particularly important to professional services firms, where, which tend to be very matrixed uh, organizations. So, so there isn't necessarily a hierarchy that you can lean on sometimes. What's very important to have is, is a good, like a change leadership network, a team of leaders that, that is involved in, in collaboratively implementing things as, they, as we go along. And so that's, in, in those particular instances, something like that is very important. And, and it's not always there. Yeah, that makes total sense. So tell me a little bit more about, I know your focus is on leadership, uh, training and coaching around change management. And why do you feel that that's a critical element of a successful change management? Sure. And, and you know, whenever you read about it, it there's always things that, that tell you, you know, leadership is so critical when it comes to implementing a change. And it is. But oftentimes, the leaders leading the change, it, it is a, you have to do things differently than you do when you manage an organization operationally. For one of the key things, for example, is that you need to rely on influence a whole lot more than on giving people direction. Because oftentimes, somebody in another department or area needs to do something for you to be successful at completing a task, and they don't report to you. So, uh, having that influence is, is being inf- that influence is important, and the other part too is communication. What I usually tell my clients when we're working on this is that be prepared to repeat the same thing over and over again multiple times and <laughs> oftentimes to the same person. It just uh, you know I don't know how many times I've seen where we've had you know we've had a town hall and emails and meetings and this and that and somebody will who's been there at all of them will come back and say, well, nobody told me this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, think, oh, that's true. How could you have missed it? So that that's important as well. And so those are the kind of things that that when when we get into coaching mode, those are the things I stress. And how do you, what are, what are the key things you need to focus on to make sure that the communication is relevant, right? Because a lot of times where, where we find people haven't, really heard you is because the messaging may not have been on point or or they may have not found the messaging really relevant to to what they do or or their lives so your thoughts on that yeah so one thing that that we always do at the start of a project we we put together a communications package for the leadership and and usually there's three components to that. One component is what are the key messages? And it's the leaders as well as their teams that help us pull this together. So what are the most important things that we need to tell people? So that's where the relevance comes in. From that, we we take a subset of that and we create like a brief, what we, we call it an elevator speech. And it's really, you know, if, if you're talking and, and communicating to people, what are the key points you always need to reiterate and repeat? And, and, and then everybody, that becomes a song sheet that everybody sings off of from. And then, of course, we have an FAQ of questions that you might be asked or are being asked and what are the answers so that everybody, again, 
provides a similar answer in their own way. But again, we we everybody stays on message. So that's that's kind of the uh, from a communications perspective that's important. The other part is what we start off with is, is how communication schedule and, and that's to respect the cascade of, of communications and the way it has to go out. Usually you don't want somebody who is, you know, say department manager announcing something that you know somebody higher up is unaware of and that are caught off guard and surprised. So so those are the kind of things from a communications perspective that we put in and are very important. Yeah, I know you and I have had conversations around making sure change management is sustainable, right? It's not an event during a project phase, but but you've got to think through change management so that that change is really sticking two, three, four years down the line. And really, you're, you're able to achieve the outcomes. And it's an area that Mavenlink always tries to focus on with our clients is understanding what the outcomes, desired business outcomes, as you pointed out, are. So what are some of the ways that we can actually plan or, or structure our change management, you know, through measurements, KPIs, et cetera, beyond that project life lifetime to actually make sure it's sustainable? Yeah, that's that's a big one because really <clears throat> that's your return on investment, <laughs> whatever you're putting in. Because if you spend all this money implementing something and then a year later people are using you know 40 50% of that capability i mean that's that's your, your return on investment is half of what you expected and it's very important to to make sure that people continue to do what they're supposed to do so and and people do have you know people like their things so you know if it's a system or an application that's implemented People often, that usually replaces a lot of either spreadsheets or other applications, but people are loath to get rid of those. So things that if it can be done, if certain applications can be shut off, that's that's a, an easy way to do it because you tell people once we go live, you can only access the historical information here, but you can enter not, new information cannot be entered any longer. And when it comes to spreadsheets, that's a, that's a tricky one. We've been in situations where, you know, people enter that the data into their spreadsheets first, and then when they have time, <laughs> they put in the system, meaning that when you get a report, that report is not accurate because the data isn't current, and that can erode over time. So uh, something like that is one, one thing that we have done. Sometimes there's interfaces that can be created so you can download something into your spreadsheet. So you can still use a spreadsheet, but you enter the data in the system. And there's also uh, a behavioral component to that, right, is where you can either throw – usually you, you try to get the carrot and stick uh, model going, but – you encourage people to use it, but then also there's through the performance review process, things you put into place that if they do use it, there will be consequences and therefore it, it discourages people. But it, it's always good to kind of get, get the, you know what it is, is getting the habit going. And if you get, get the habit going early, then you don't have as much problem with people switching back. If you can get people getting to use something or, or I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. In, in one situation, we were implementing uh, a project and it had, to, it was a professional services firm and timesheets. This involved replacing the timesheets and the process around timesheets. And at that time, the, the company was working really hard on putting in uh, a work-life balance. <laughs> it was a consulting firm and, you know, that's always tough in that environment, but, you know, they were trying 
And the timesheets that were being used at that time, you had to fill them in on Monday at noon, which was perfect for a consulting uh, consultant because usually flying back, getting back on Friday, rushing out to be with your family on the weekend, you come back on Monday morning before you start your day, just sit down and do your timesheet for the previous week. Everything's great. With the new system, that was changing <laughs> to get this Saturday night at 6 p.m. All of a sudden, this was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. So we decided to decouple that change from the implementation. And we created a policy shift that this would be Saturday night at 6 p.m. And what we did was we the, the partners allowed us to have an admin assistant who tracked physically, uh, manually, how many people entered their timesheets ahead of that. Fortunately enough, the project was called Merlot. And so what we did was... We, from the people that entered it early, we had a draw and 10 people every week would win a bottle of Merlot. We publicized this was a big fun thing. And the end result was by the time we went live, our uh, adoption rate of the new system and our compliance rate was higher than in, in the other entity. This was the, the US went first. It was higher than, than theirs a year after they'd been using it. So it was that whole thing of of getting the behavior in early and associating it with something fun and positive. And that kind of helped and also dissociated from the system because the system ended up being seen as a positive because it reinforced this policy and behavior that was now already in place. So something like that worked well. That's a great story. And, and you know what? I think a lot of times we forget that behavioral change is not only sort of that financial incentive, a lot of people are triggered, especially the newer generation, are triggered by other means, competition. Who who did the most timesheets on time, which department, and things like that. So I think it's it's about getting creative around how you structure it, especially if you have a tight budget for your project and you don't want to go out with a lot of rewards. But there's many ways to motivate people to, to incorporate that change. Yeah. Yeah. And you raise a... And you raise a good point because, you know, professional services firms, the people who are there tend to be competitive by nature, right? So using a bit of peer pressure and competition, and and again, recognition is great because, you know, if you say, hey, we want to congratulate, I don't know, Bob, uh, Cindy, and somebody else for doing this, and, and, and you, you know, publicize that. Others will look at that and go, ah, I want that too. And, and so you encourage that behavior. Recognition can be used very, very productively, you know, as long as it's used authentically, to, to really generate some of that peer pressure and some of that competition to the direction that you want. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point around the authenticity of it all, right? And I think, I think authenticity just plays a great role. Definitely. Generally, as you're thinking about your change management, your rollout, right? Honesty, authenticity plays a yeah. big role in credibility. What do you think about that? Oh, you know what? And that's, that's very important, especially in the beginning, especially when it comes to communications, right? Because you, in the beginning, your ability to communicate the, the information that you have is far less than what people are asking for because you just don't know. You're getting into the project. You still have to, a lot of things to sort out and, and figure out. But people want to know, how will my job be in, in, impacted exactly eight months from now? Well, you really don't know. But it's still important to be authentic. And, you know, it's, you know, and the main, obviously, the main thing that people are concerned is, is this going to impact my job negatively? Are you doing this? 
Because as soon as you, if you use the word efficiency, which is used quite often, people automatically translate into, oh, okay, so how many of us are leaving? <laughs> and, and so you have to be very upfront about, you know, what, what is going, and usually that is not the case. And you have to say that. You have to say that that is not the objective, although it could happen. It could happen in any, even if you don't do anything, something like that could happen. But what's also important to say is, Look, this is all the information we can give you, being very transparent with you. And we can't tell you anything more right now, but within one month, we'll be able to tell you more. And that usually soothes a lot of anxieties because people then park it and go, okay, fine, I won't bother you, but I expect something in a month's time. And and then in a month, you can give a bit more information and again, do the same thing. This is what we can tell you at this point and we'll have more communications coming, but you know, look, out, look for it in a month and a half, we'll give you, we'll have more to, to share with you. And once people get, again, used to that behavior that you are communicating regularly and you're trying to be honestly just very transparent, they will start to believe and then communications becomes a lot more effective. Yeah. So believe and trust, right? As you are concluding your, your current communication, you set expectation for when they should look for the next communication. That way they, they know, they know that for the next month, I won't hear anything and I can rely on the fact that they, there will be another meeting in a month and, and I'll know how the pro- progress is going on the project. So that's, that's a fantastic point, Peter. So Peter just uh, wanted to change gears a little bit towards training and, you know, just take a look at what are some of the key um, elements that, you know, the listeners should consider for effective training as an element of change management, right? With great resignation going on currently, I mean, our workforce is changing, remote workforce, et cetera. What are some of the considerations to make sure that training is playing the effective role it needs to drive adoption? Yeah, so it's what's important is to look at, you know, all elements of, of what a person needs needs to do to do their job. So, for, for example, a lot of times, and I see this in, in situations where there's a, you know, technology implementer coming in and, and part of the implementation, uh, they always say we're going to provide training. And, and then the client believes, oh, you're going to cover all the training. And that's not really fair because as an implementer, you will, you need to provide training on your on your product as well as as any you know workflows related but the training of you know this is how it's within the context of the way you do your day-to-day job so how does it fit within the whole pro- business process that you're involved in you used to do things this th- things this way now you're going to do things that way only somebody within the client organization could pull something like that off so it does require that collaboration and and also sometimes there's a there's a behavioral component involved too such as you know maybe the process says this has to happen but from a behavior perspective this has to be completed by Tuesday at 10 a.m. and so that needs to be also you know expressly put out there so the what people are most one of the key things that people are afraid of when a change is coming and what a training addresses is my competency will my competency be impacted will I be able to do this less and and if somebody feels that their competency a sense of control is going to be impacted this is again what increases the risk of them kind of saying you know why I'm, I'm not comfortable here but addressing that is so this is through training if you say look we're going to provide everything to make you feel comfortable that you can do your job going forward with this new technology these new processes whatever 
And, and including that as part of that is a great way to, to reassure people and say, okay, fine, I'll be good after, after go live. The other part too, and, and sometimes I've seen this is, is where, whenever you're implementing something, and this is a, a pretty, pretty well researched figure, usually 10 to 15% of the people do not want to make the change. And even after you've tried to cajole them and, and threaten them and everything else, 10 to 15%, it's a remarkably consistent figure. And if you think even now with, with a pandemic, if, well, at least, you know, here, here in Canada, when we look at it is, you know, how many people are not vaccinated? It's 10 to 15%. And what, what's important is at that stage, if you're training, if you're doing whatever, at that point, you just have to say, okay, well, you know, at this point, we are going to stop to try to encourage you. And we're going to have a different conversation. You know, at this point, the train has left. Everybody else is on board. The caboose is leaving. This is your last chance to jump on board, and that's it. And you know, but but trying to get to full consensus is a mistake. It, 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 these are individuals that that will not get on board voluntarily. It just won't happen. Yeah. So it sounds that's a great point because the energy and investment behind bringing that fifteen percent along is just not going to get you where you need to be. So that you bring up a fantastic point. Plus, you also erode the motivation of all those that that did the effort to go ahead. Because I'm saying, well, wait a second, I I did everything you told me, but now you're really glad handling these others who are just you know a pain to work with. Why? So you, you're really devaluing my efforts at that point. And so it is very, and I've, whenever I've been in those situations, everybody who has gone early has no empathy for those that, that had trouble, although 10, 15%, it's like, look, you know what, we're all going this way. You know, we're friends, we'll have coffee, but honestly, let's not talk about this because I don't have the patience for that. We, I've moved on. Yeah, and I, and you, I agree because I think the masses, the energy of the masses will bring the minority along as well to some extent. So so all very good points. The other thing that you bring up that I, I think was very valuable is, you know, a lot of times we look at training as part of a checkbox. Yeah, we need to have training programs, go back to the software provider, or if we're the software provider, we basically say, okay, well, here here's the package we can provide you on how to use the software, right? But really, ultimately, there are so many other aspects that if you considered that training would be so much more impactful, the process, the procedure you brought up, behavioral Im- implications, but also organizational cultural implications, right? Not every organization has the same cultural and values. And I think there is an o- sort of overarching element that will make training more effective if you actually consider that. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, it's and oftentimes what I've seen when when you know applications are put in that kind of you know take take the place of multiple other applica- you know homemade applications or or spreadsheets, it, it the organization itself, the culture does shift because it becomes more process oriented and there's less done just through relationships and you know just knowing what to do and and. And sometimes people feel that and they go, oh, you know, we're not as, you know, it's not as much of a kind of a relationship culture now. It feels less like a family, more like this corporate thing. And oftentimes it's important to address that up front to kind of think about what are going to be some of the cultural changes and say, you know what, once we implement this, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit more rigor. It's going to be more tracking, more oversight. That's just part of it. And 
and just helping people to understand that you understand what the change is going to be and you're going to help them through that. And again, training is, is a big part of that because if you think of training less of, I just want to make sure my people can use the system and, and you change your mindset to, I want to make sure that my people feel comfortable and effective once the system is in place and they feel confident in their job, we will just uh, look at training and approach training differently. Yeah. And what's your perspective? I mean, again, with the move towards remote, you know, source from anywhere, remote work, online versus in person or a combination, all of the above, any sort of preferences or recommendations on ongoing training beyond the project point and and project training delivery? Yeah. So one thing that we always make sure we do, and this is again from a sustainability perspective, is that, and actually in, in some ways, being online has helped because the training as we do it now, it, you don't need to have multiple classrooms, for example, for training, for some of the education sessions or training sessions that, that were in person. You can have it now in person on a call and then record that. And that recording is a lesson. So if somebody new comes on board, part of their onboarding is you have to watch this training. And it's a, tra- you know, it, it's, a, it's a live recorded training session. And that saves time. And also you can do it in one shot. Or if you have to do it repeatedly, because it's a large number, you can do that and record one of them, whichever one, or record all of them and pick the one that's best. But I have found with this whole online, it did not have as negative an effect as I, as I expected it to have. And in some ways, there's been some positives that have come out of it. I can't predict you know, which way it's going to go, but whichever way it goes, whether it goes more towards in office or, or online, either way, it's not, it should not hinder how effective the, the, the training is. No, I agree. Actually, you know, just personal experience, I joined Maven Link in the last year and I can't tell you how important things like chorus or Zoom recordings were in my onboarding. Reaching out and seeing people at work versus ch- turning a, you know, taking an a training course versus actually listening to recordings of people in action, delivering messaging, et cetera. I found it invaluable, much more effective than taking a classroom type training. So agree, agree all the way. And and also in terms of that, like, you know, I used to, and other projects prior to all of this, I was involved in online training. We did produce videos and, 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 and those kind of things. I find that people gravitate a lot more, just like you mentioned now, to seeing real life people in in a training session. It's back to that authenticity. It's not produced. It's not overproduced. It's not, it's just a, a, you know, you're seeing and, and, and you recognize some of these people, they're your colleagues. So all of a sudden that relationship kind of starts getting built, even though it's only one, one way, but you're starting to recognize people. They ask questions, somebody flubs up, you go, oh, they're human too. That's great. So I can flub, you know, it just, just make, it kind of reduces the, the anxiety around that. Yeah, no, that sounds, yeah, that sounds right. If there was one key takeaway uh, that you want our listeners out in the professional services industry to keep in mind uh, when going through a, a major transformation, what would that one thing be, Peter? There's a, actually a couple, if I can <laughs> if I can add a few. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can even push it to three. It's actually, no it's problem. funny, I do have three. <laughs> and this is what I usually <laughs> tell 
both the leaders of a transformation as well as the project teams, the project manager, everybody I'm working with is one thing is that you need to put time and effort aside to implement this off, especially leaders are, you know, there, there's a sense of, okay, great. I've got a change person. I've got a team. Call me when it's over or call me if you need me to approve something. What I usually tell them is that you need to devote. You have to you know, put in your mind that 10 to 20% of your time working, uh, working week is going to be devoted to this project because these external people are not going to implement the change. You're the leader. You have to implement the change. That means you have to be in certain meetings. You have to be reviewing documents. You have to be, you know, all all those things. And that will chew up between 10 and 20% of your time on average, depending on your position, how how close you involved are and and so on. And that usually, you know, causes people to just really stop (laughs) and and, and listen, because that's that's not what, what they often expect. The other part too is, to be comfortable with repeating the same message over and over again. And, and one kind of metaphor to use is, is to think about yourself as really selling this change to everybody. And, and if you think about it, if you watch, you know, hockey or football or whatever, whatever beer commercial is being put on there, they don't, they don't just do it once. It seems like every break and play, there's that commercial. And, you know, but, and, and by the, by the third quarter, you're conditioned to walk over to the fridge. <laughs> that view you're sold it's the same thing so get get ready and get your message straight and then keep repeating and and the last thing too is to be okay with some anger as people go from being aware that something is changing and they really understand there's that holy cow moment it's like what do you mean i can't use that spreadsheet anymore that comes with anger and to just understand that that is okay as a matter of fact when you see that, that's a sign of progress. Now, it doesn't mean you should purposely try to get a revolution started, but it's it's not to shy away from it either. One of the mistakes I see is where people kind of go, well, you know, if you say that, people get upset, let's, let's avoid it. But eventually people will figure it out. And then you, you're left dealing with the anger as well as trying to get people to do something. You're better off getting the anger out of the way, deal with it. And then when you ask people to do something, they may be grumbling, but they're just going to do it. And the other, the other mistake I see some of those people try to counter anger with anger. Leaders will come in and go, well, you know, you just have to do it. And of course, that's counterproductive. So you have to absorb it, get beyond the emotion, deal with what the issues are, and then just say, hey, you know, check mark. We, we got progress. Everybody now is at understanding. <laughs> oh, this is good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we didn't limit it to, to, to one. The three were fantastic. And, you know, I love your passion and enthusiasm, in all of this. If people want to connect with you, I, I don't know what the best way is for them to connect with you. Is it LinkedIn or what? Where, how would they look you up? Yeah, they can look at me, uh, look me up at LinkedIn for sure that way. My email is peter at haddispartnersinc.com and also through my website at www.haddispartnersinc.com as well. So there's a contact us section there. Fantastic. I'm always looking for books to read, great, great reads. So this is going to be my ending uh, question for you more on the personal note. Any recommendations? Sure. I got, I have a tome for you. Actually, what I, the kind of books I, I generally like to read are biographies of somebody who was, you know, historically significant in some way. It's, it's always something to learn. And right now the book I'm reading is actually, uh, it's called Benjamin Franklin, An American Life. And it's by uh, Walter Isaacson. And I really like him. Uh, he's the one that wrote the biography on Steve Jobs. And one thing I like about him is he gets beneath the veneer. 
and presents the flawed person. And, you know, I, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was always been somebody I've wanted to know more about. And I mean, arguably he read, he led or was one of the leadership of one of the greatest business transformations ever from, you know, a, an English colony to, to a republic. So a lot of change management there. And so, yeah, that's, that's currently what I'm reading. And, and actually, it is fascinating. He's a, he's a fascinating individual, more so than I expected. I've got to pick that one up. I've read Steve Jobs' autobiography. Now, I do know for a fact that you have read Untethered Souls. I know that sort of from past. And my last recording, I was actually recommending it. I was saying I'm rereading it, which I am rereading it. So uh, did you enjoy that book? Very much. And I think from a leadership perspective, I always highly recommend that book as well as there's, there's another book that I recommend. It's the, I forget the exact name, but it's, it's also like an eight-week program. Self-awareness is a huge part of leadership, right? You, when somebody says something, you react. Now, being aware of how you react and why is, is very important to be an effective leader. And when it comes to change management, really what you're doing is you're developing new skills. You're leading in a different way. And if you kind of are not, if you're not aware, you're going to miss that lesson. So anything, you're absolutely right. The untethered soul is great to really get you to think about your own reactions, your own perception, which is all self-awareness. Yeah, that that's absolutely, books like that, I think from a leadership perspective are, are very, very important. I loved it. I mean, I, I never thought about it in that angle, but, but fantastic angle. Anyways, Peter, just want to thank you for your time. It's been fantastic. I hope we can have you on again. Well, I'm sure we'll have questions and comments and people reaching out and hopefully we can regroup and, and continue the conversation. Love to. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, Donnie. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.